Chapter fifty seven, part three of a popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six, by Francois Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter fifty seven. Louis the sixteenth. France abroad. United States War of Independence. Seventeen seventy five to seventeen eighty three. Part three. Count d'Estaing had at last arrived at the mouth of the Delaware on the ninth of July, 1778. Admiral Howe had not awaited him. He had sailed for the anchorage of Sandy Hook. The heavy French ships could not cross the bar. Philadelphia had been evacuated by the English as soon as the approach of Count d'Estaing was signalled. "'It is not General Howe who has taken Philadelphia,' said Franklin, it is Philadelphia that has taken General Howe. The English commander had foreseen the danger. On falling back upon New York, he had been hotly pursued by Washington, who had at Monmouth gained a serious advantage over him. The victory of the Americans would have been complete but for the jealous disobedience of General Lee. Washington pitched his camp thirty miles from New York. Quote, after two years marching and countermarching he wrote after vicissitudes so strange that never perhaps did any other war exhibit the like since the beginning of the world what a subject of satisfaction and astonishment for us to see the two armies back again at the point from which they started and the assailants reduced in self-defence to have recourse to the shovel and the axe the combined expedition of d'Estaing and General Sullivan against the little English corps which occupied Rhode Island had just failed. The fleet of Admiral Howe had suddenly appeared at the entrance of the roads. The French squadron had gone out to meet it. An unexpected tempest separated the combatants. Count d'Estaing, more concerned for the fate of his vessels than with the clamors of the Americans, set sail for Boston to repair damages the campaign was lost cries of treason were already heard a riot was the welcome which awaited the french admiral at boston all washington's personal efforts seconded by the marquis of lafayette were scarcely sufficient to restore harmony the english had just made a descent upon the coasts of georgia and taken possession of savannah they threatened carolina and even virginia scarcely were the french ships in trim to put to sea when count d'estaing made sail for the antilles zealous and brave but headstrong and passionate like m de lally tolendal under whom he had served in india the admiral could ill brook reverses and ardently sought for an occasion to repair them the english had taken st pierre and miquelon m de bouille governor of ile du vent had almost at the same time made himself master of la dominique four thousand english had just landed at st lucie m d'estaing recently arrived at martinique headed thither immediately with his squadron without success however it was during the absence of the english admiral byron that the french seamen succeeded in taking possession first of st vincent and soon afterwards of granada the fort of this latter island was carried after a brilliant assault the admiral had divided his men into three bodies he commanded the first 
the second marched under the orders of viscount de noailles and arthur dillon at the head of the irish in the service of france led the third the cannon on the ramparts were soon directed against the english who thought to arrive in time to relieve granada count d'estaing went out of port to meet the english admiral as he was sailing towards the enemy the admiral made out under french colours a splendid ship of war le fier rodrigue which belonged to beaumarchais and was convoying ten merchantmen Quote, seeing the wide berth kept by this fine ship which was going proudly before the wind says the sprightly and sagacious biographer of beaumarchais m de Londy, admiral d'estaing signalled to her to bear down learning that she belonged to his majesty caron de beaumarchais he felt that it would be a pity not to take advantage of it and seeing the exigency of the case he appointed her her place of battle without asking her proprietor's permission leaving to the mercy of the waves and of the english the unhappy merchant-ships which the man-of-war was convoying le fier rodrigue resigned herself bravely to her fate took a glorious part in the battle of granada contributed in forcing admiral byron to retreat but had her captain killed and was riddled with bullets admiral d'estaing wrote the same evening to beaumarchais his letter reached the scholar merchant through the medium of the minister of marine to the latter beaumarchais at once replied quote, sir i have to thank you for having forwarded to me the letter from count d'estaing it is very noble in him at the moment of his triumph to have thought how very agreeable it would be to me to have a word in his handwriting i take the liberty of sending you a copy of his short letter by which i feel honoured as the good frenchman i am and at which i rejoice as a devoted adherent of my country against that proud england the brave monteau appears to have thought that he could not better prove to me how worthy he was of the post with which he was honoured than by getting killed whatever may be the result as regards my own affairs my poor friend monton has died on the bed of honour and i feel a sort of childish joy in being certain that those english who have cut me up so much in their papers for the last four years will read therein that one of my ships has helped to take from them the most fertile of their possessions and as for the enemies of m d'estaing and especially of yourself sir i see them biting their nails and my heart leaps for joy the joy of beaumarchais as well as that of france was a little excessive and smacked of unfamiliarity with the pleasure of victory m d'estaing had just been recalled to france before he left he would fain have rendered to the americans a service pressingly demanded of him general lincoln was about to besiege savannah the english generals for henry clinton a more able man than his predecessor had managed to profit by the internal disputes of the union he had rallied around him the loyalists in georgia and the carolinas civil war prevailed there with all its horrors d'estaing bore down with his squadron for savannah lincoln was already on the coast ready to facilitate his landing the french admiral was under pressure of the orders from paris he had no time for a regular siege the trenches had already been opened twenty days and the bombardment terrible as it was for the american town had not yet damaged the works of the english on the ninth of october d'estaing determined to deliver the assault americans and french vied with each other in courage 
For a moment the flag of the Union floated upon the ramparts, some grenadiers made their way into the place, the admiral was wounded. Meanwhile the losses were great, and perseverance was evidently useless. The assault was repulsed. Count d'Estaing still remained nine days before the place, in hopes of finding a favourable opportunity. He was obliged to make sail for France, and the fleet withdrew, leaving Savannah in the hands of the English. The only advantage from the admiral's expedition was the deliverance of Rhode Island, abandoned by General Clinton, who, fearing an attack from the French, recalled the garrison to New York. Washington had lately made himself master of the fort at Stony Point, which had up to that time enabled the English to command the navigation of the Hudson. In England the commotion was great. France and America in arms against her had just been joined by Spain a government essentially monarchical, faithful to ancient traditions, the Spaniards had for a long while resisted the entreaties of M. de Vergennes, who availed himself of the stipulations of the family pact. Charles III felt no sort of sympathy for a nascent republic. He feared the contagion of the example it showed to the Spanish colonies. He hesitated to plunge into the expenses of a war. His hereditary hatred against England prevailed at last over the dictates of prudence. He was promised, moreover, the assistance of France to reconquer Gibraltar and Menorca. The King of Spain consented to take part in the war without, however, recognizing the independence of the United States or entering into alliance with them. The situation of England was becoming serious. She believed herself to be threatened with a terrible invasion as in the days of the great armada, quote, orders were given to all functionaries, civil and military, in case of a descent of the enemy, to see to the transportation into the interior and into a place of safety of all horses, cattle, and flocks that might happen to be on the coasts. Quote, Sixty-six allied ships of the line ploughed through the channel. Fifty thousand men mustered in Normandy were preparing to burst upon the southern counties. A simple American corsair, Paul Jones, ravaged with impunity the coasts of Scotland. The powers of the north, united with Russia and Holland, threatened to maintain, with arms in hand, the rights of neutrals, ignored by the English admiralty courts. Ireland awaited only the signal to revolt. Religious quarrels were distracting Scotland and England. The authority of Lord North's cabinet was shaken in Parliament as well as throughout the country. The passions of the mob held sway in London, and among the sights that might have been witnessed was that of this great city given up for nearly a week to the populace, without anything that could stay its excesses save its own lassitude and its own feeling of shame. M. de Cornelis de Witt, Histoire de Washington so many and such imposing preparations were destined to produce but little fruit. The two fleets, the French and the Spanish, had effected their junction off Coruna, under the orders of Count d'Olvilliers. They slowly entered the channel on the 31st of August, near the Sorlingue, or Scilly Islands. They sighted the English fleet, with a strength of only thirty-seven vessels. Count de Guichin, who commanded the vanguard, was already manoeuvring to cut off the enemy's retreat. Admiral Hardy had the speed of him and sought refuge in Plymouth Sound. Some engagements which took place between frigates were of little importance, but glorious for both sides. 
on the sixth of october the surveillante commanded by chevalier de quidic had a tussle with the quebec the broadsides were incessant a hail of lead fell upon both ships the majority of the officers of the surveillante were killed or wounded de quidic had been struck twice on the head a fresh wound took him in the stomach streaming with blood he remained at his post and directed the fight the three masts of the surveillante had just fallen knocked to pieces by balls the whole rigging of the quebec at the same moment came down with a run the two ships could no longer manoeuvre the decimated crews were preparing to board when a thick smoke shot up all at once from the between decks of the quebec the fire spread with unheard-of rapidity the surveillante already hooked on to her enemy's side was on the point of becoming like her a prey to the flames but her commander gasping as he was and scarcely alive got her loose by a miracle of ability the quebec had hardly blown up when the crew of the surveillante set to work picking up the glorious wreck of their adversaries a few prisoners were brought into brest on the victorious vessel which was so blackened by the smoke and damaged by the fight that tugs had to be sent to her assistance a few months afterwards duquedic died of his wounds carrying to the grave the supreme honour of having been the only one to render his name illustrious in the great display of the maritime forces of france and spain count d'orvilliers made no attempt the inhabitants upon the english coasts ceased to tremble sickness committed ravages amongst the crews after a hundred and four days useless cruising in the channel the huge fleet returned sorrowfully to brest admiral d'orvilliers had lost his son in a partial engagement he left the navy and retired ere long to a convent count de guichin sailed for the antilles with a portion of the french fleet and maintained with glory the honour of his flag in a series of frequently successful affairs against admiral rodney at the beginning of the war the latter a great scapegrace and overwhelmed with debt happened to be at paris detained by the state of his finances Quote, if i were free said he one day in the presence of marshal biron i would soon destroy all the spanish and french fleets the marshal at once paid his debts Quote, go sir said he with a flourish of generosity to which the eighteenth century was a little prone the french have no desire to gain advantages over their enemies save by their bravery rodney's first exploit was to revictual gibraltar which the spanish and french armaments had invested by land and sea everywhere the strength of the belligerents was being exhausted without substantial result and without honour for more than four years now america had been keeping up the war and her southern provinces had been everywhere laid waste by the enemy in spite of the heroism which was displayed by the patriots and of which the women themselves set the example general lincoln had just been forced to capitulate at charleston washington still encamped before new york saw his army decimated by hunger and cold deprived of all resources and reduced to subsist at the expense of the people in the neighbourhood all eyes were turned towards france the marquis of lafayette had succeeded in obtaining from the king and the french ministry the formation of an auxiliary corps the troops were already on their way under the orders of count de rochambeau 
misfortune and disappointments are great destroyers of some barriers prudent tact can overthrow others washington and the american army would but lately have seen with suspicion the arrival of foreign auxiliaries in seventeen eighty transports of joy greeted the news of their approach m de lafayette moreover had been careful to spare the american general all painful friction count de rochambeau and the french officers were placed under the orders of washington and the auxiliary corps entirely at his disposal the delicate generosity and the disinterestedness of the french government had sometimes had the effect of making it neglect the national interests in its relations with the revolted colonies but it had derived therefrom a spirit of conduct invariably calculated to triumph over the prejudices as well as the jealous pride of the americans Quote, the history of the war of independence is a history of hopes deceived said washington he had conceived the idea of making himself master of new york with the aid of the french the transport of the troops had been badly calculated rochambeau brought to rhode island only the first division of his army about five thousand men and count de guichin whose squadron had been relied upon had just been recalled to france washington was condemned to inaction quote, our position is not sufficiently brilliant he wrote to m de lafayette to justify our putting pressure upon count de rochambeau i shall continue our arrangements however in the hope of more fortunate circumstances the american army was slow in getting organized obliged as it had been to fight incessantly and make head against constantly recurring difficulties it was getting organized however the example of the french the discipline which prevailed in the auxiliary corps the good understanding thenceforth established among the officers helped washington in his difficult task from the first the superiority of the general was admitted by the french as well as by the americans naturally and by the mere fact of the gifts he had received from god washington was always and everywhere chief of the men placed within his range and under his influence this natural ascendancy which usually triumphed over the base jealousies and criminal manoeuvres into which the rivals of general washington had sometimes allowed themselves to be drawn had completely failed in the case of one of his most brilliant lieutenants in spite of his inveterate and well-known vices benedict arnold had covered himself with glory by daring deeds and striking bravery exhibited in a score of fights from the day when putting himself at the head of the first bands raised in massachusetts he had won the grade of general during his expedition to canada accused of malversation and lately condemned by a court-martial to be reprimanded by the general-in-chief arnold through an excess of confidence on washington's part still held the command of the important fort of west point he abused the trust washington on returning from an interview with count de rochambeau went out of his way to visit the garrison of west point the commandant was absent surprised and displeased the general was impatiently waiting for his return when his aide-de-camp and faithful friend colonel hamilton brought him important dispatches washington's face remained impassable but throughout the garrison and among the general staff there had already spread a whisper of arnold's treachery he had promised it was said to deliver west point to the enemy 
an english officer acting as a spy had actually been arrested within the american lines it was true and general arnold turning traitor to his country from jealousy vengeance and the shameful necessities entailed by a disorderly life had sought refuge at new york with sir henry clinton major andre was in the hands of the americans young honourable brave endowed with talents and of elegant and cultivated tastes the english officer brought up with a view to a different career but driven into the army from a disappointment and love had accepted the dangerous mission of bearing to the perfidious commandant of west point the english general's latest instructions sir henry clinton had recommended him not to quit his uniform but yielding to the insinuating arnold the unhappy young man had put on a disguise he had been made prisoner recognized and treated as a spy he was to die on the gallows it was the ignominy alone of this punishment which perturbed his spirit Quote, sir he wrote to washington sustained against fear of death by the reflection that no unworthy action has sullied a life devoted to honour i feel confident that in this my extremity your excellency will not be deaf to a prayer the granting of which will soothe my last moments out of sympathy for a soldier your excellency will i am sure consent to adapt the form of my punishment to the feelings of a man of honour permit me to hope that if my character have inspired you with any respect if i am in your eyes sacrificed to policy and not to vengeance i shall have proof that those sentiments prevail in your heart by learning that i am not to die on the gallows with a harshness of which there is no other example in his life and of which he appeared to always preserve a painful recollection washington remained deaf to his prisoner's noble appeal major andre underwent the fate of a spy quote, you are a witness that i die like a man of honour he said to an american officer whose duty it was to see the orders carried out the general did him justice quote, andre he said paid his penalty with the spirit to be expected from a man of such merit and so brave an officer as to arnold he has no heart everybody is surprised to see that he is not yet swinging on a gibbet the passionate endeavours of the americans to inflict upon the traitor the chastisement he deserved remained without effect constantly engaged as an english general in the war with all the violence bred of uneasy hate arnold managed to escape the just vengeance of his countrymen he died twenty years later in the english possessions rich and despised Quote, what would you have done if you had succeeded in catching me he asked an american prisoner one day Quote, we would have severed from your body the leg that had been wounded in the service of the country and would have hanged the rest on a gibbet answered the militiaman quietly the excitement caused by the treachery of arnold had not yet subsided when a fresh cup of bitterness was put to the lips of the general-in-chief and disturbed the hopes he had placed on the reorganization of his army successive revolts among the troops of pennsylvania which threatened to spread to those of new jersey had convinced him that america had come to the end of her sacrifices Quote, the country's own powers are exhausted he wrote to colonel lawrence in a letter intended to be communicated to louis the sixteenth 
single-handed we cannot restore public credit and supply the funds necessary for continuing the war the patience of the army is at an end the people are discontented without money we shall make but a feeble effort and probably the last the insufficiency of the military results obtained by land and sea in comparison with the expenses and the exhibition of force and the slowness and bad management of the operations had been attributed in france as well as in america to the incapacity of the ministers of war and marine the prince of montberry and m de sartine the finances had up to that time sufficed for the enormous charges which weighed upon the treasury credit for the fact was most justly given to the consummate ability and inexhaustible resources of m necker who was first of all made director of the treasury on october twenty second seventeen seventy six and then director-general of finance on june twenty ninth seventeen seventy seven by his advice backed by the favour of the queen the two ministers were superseded by m de ségur and the marquis of castries a new and more energetic impulse before long restored the hopes of the americans on the twenty first of march seventeen eighty a fleet left under the orders of count de grasse after its arrival at martinique on the twenty eighth of april in spite of admiral hood's attempts to block his passage count de grasse took from the english the island of tobago on the first of june on the third of september he brought washington a reinforcement of three thousand five hundred men and twelve hundred thousand livres in specie in a few months king louis the sixteenth had lent to the united states or procured for them on his security sums exceeding sixteen million livres it was to washington personally that the french government confided its troops as well as its subsidies Quote, the king's soldiers are to be placed exclusively under the orders of the general-in-chief m girard the french minister in america had said on the arrival of the auxiliary corps after so many and such painful efforts the day of triumph was at last dawning upon general washington and his country alternations of success and reverse had signalized the commencement of the campaign of seventeen eighty one lord cornwallis who commanded the english armies in the south was occupying virginia with a considerable force when washington who had managed to conceal his designs from sir henry clinton shut up in new york crossed philadelphia on the fourth of september and advanced by forced marches against the enemy the latter had been for some time past harassed by the little army of m de lafayette the fleet of admiral de grasse cut off the retreat of the english lord cornwallis threw himself into yorktown on the thirtieth of september the place was invested it was but slightly and badly fortified the english troops were fatigued by a hard campaign the besiegers were animated by a zeal further stimulated by emulation french and americans vied with one another in ardour batteries sprang up rapidly the soldiers refused to take any rest the trenches were opened by the sixth of october on the tenth the cannon began to batter the town on the fourteenth an american column commanded by m de lafayette colonel hamilton and colonel lawrence attacked one of the redoubts which protected the approaches to the town whilst the french dashed forward on their side to attack the second redoubt under the orders of baron de viomenil 
viscount de noailles and marquis de saint-simon who ill as he was had insisted on being carried at the head of his regiment the flag of the union floated above both works at almost the same instant when the attacking columns joined again on the other side of the outwork they had attacked the french had made five hundred prisoners all defence became impossible lord cornwallis in vain attempted to escape he was reduced on the seventeenth of october to signing a capitulation more humiliating than that of saratoga eight thousand men laid down their arms the vessels which happened to be lying at yorktown and gloucester were given up to the victors lord cornwallis was ill of grief and fatigue general o'hara who took his place tendered his sword to count de rochambeau the latter stepped back and pointing to general washington said aloud quote, i am only an auxiliary in receiving the english general's sword washington was receiving the pledge of his country's independence england felt this quote, lord north received the news of the capitulation like a bullet in his breast said lord george germain secretary of state for the colonies he threw up his arms without being able to utter a word beyond my god all's lost to this growing conviction on the part of his ministers as well as of the nation george the third opposed an unwavering persistency quote, none of the members of my cabinet he wrote immediately will suppose i am quite sure that this event can in any way modify the principles which have guided me hitherto and which will continue to regulate my conduct during the rest of this struggle End of chapter fifty seven part three